you talking about the New York and Poets Cafe as a space of living theater? And I'm wondering if you can speak more to that. <laughs> when you say living theater, um, people making theater drama, even when they don't know they're making theater and drama. Yeah. Um, wow. Yes. Well, I was... Oh, yesterday, uh, the day before, I was thinking about Julio. Julio, Julio Dalmau was our house manager for many, many years when we were on Third Street. And bodyguard a little bit. Yeah. Like. Oh, yes. <laughs> bodyguard, bouncer. Although we really didn't need, people really didn't, unless their behavior was egregious, didn't need bouncing out the door. Yeah. I remember, I was reading something about Peary Thomas. Peary Thomas was the guy who wrote um, Down These Mean Streets, These Mean Streets. Mm -hmm. It was one of those books in the 19, that came out of the 60s movements of protests uh, that people, I think American public at large was not that familiar with what goes on in the euphemism inner cities in urban environment urban america but peary peary grew up on the streets and whenever he would come to read at the cafe he had a signature you know like you hear music from um like celia cruz and she says she has a signature word she says azúcar you hear uh Who's the other one that says, uh, Ray Ruiz, Puerto Rican singer, musician. He says, Benamonal. And for Piri, it was at the end of every line, he would say, Ponto. Uh -huh. <laughs> Julio and I would meet at the back of the cafe near the door. And every time he got up to read, he would come. He, Julio and I would be there ready with the punto. <laughs> we would not in stitches, in stitches, yeah. the drama of it. Mm. I mean, drama on stage, drama behind stage. Mm -hmm. So much of the cafe was like that. Mm -hmm. um, from the sidewalk to the stage. From the sidewalk to the stage, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, Oh, we have to we have to talk to Julio soon. Mm -hmm. He's getting on in years. Right. But what an incredible character he is. Uh, you know, a big gruff man who's really just a teddy bear. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my mother died, um, he wanted a keepsake and I gave him her teddy bear. And I he told me once that he kept it on his bed and I was so touched you know a big gorilla of a man but then so much of the work that we did was about translating what was going on in the world right. to the stage i think i talked to you about how that first year uh when we were on sixth street in 74 75 um when Sandy's um, boyfriend got murdered or in police custody 
now, I mean, how many, how many, how many in police custody for reportedly playing drums on the, in the subway, got taken, arrested and taken in, and then mysteriously died yeah. in custody. And she came to Miguel with the whole story because she had been with him when he was arrested. And we did the play Murder Pito. Beginning my understanding of art as a way to, I want to say protest, but inform our living mm -hmm. about things that were going on. Not that we didn't know, but to have some kind of expression for it and for people to come and see it um, and come again and see it. Mm -hmm. The murder of Pito we put on. The crazy cop who beat him and then took him to jail where he eventually died. I mean, a common story. Now it seems like America is, oh wow, this has been happening all this time yeah. and before 74 then too. Mm -hmm. And here we are, 2020. And it's just making an impression on particularly the white people in this country. Mm -hmm. Right, it goes in cycles. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's taken so long for them to have a wake up. Mm -hmm. And now even they some of them using the expression i'm woke right i'm woke mm -hmm. yeah about time how long it take <laughs> yeah yeah that was a lot of a lot of it mm -hmm. at the cafe in those very early years our response to that and our response to our interrelations too yeah because i i remember Miguel Algarín at that time was, he still is an incredibly beautiful man, um, but physically, and it was almost like sugar and the ants. Right. All the ants coming, coming to coming for him, mm -hmm. a piece, a piece, a taste. And he was, he was that way, you know, male, female. And then there were, I remember in the old cafe, there were people, the regulars, us regulars, mm -hmm. would write poems describing our interactions, describing our affairs. And, Among each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. A way to say, a way to comment on it without going into somebody's face and, I saw you with so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Come on now. And um, what do you think the effect was of that sort of distancing, you know, of, of turning it into a, a, a performance or a work of art instead of having it just between each other? I think it made it easier to look at and to accept. Mm -hmm. Oh, you really see me. There were, in the old cafe for years, well, even in the new cafe, I was a bartender among other things. Uh, it's funny, last night listening to that Sancocho, these young people talking about uh, community and art, there was one of them, um, Carla Torres, her name was. She was saying that, well, you know, in building my art, in building our art space, you know, sometimes I'd have to be plumber. Sometimes I'd have to be 
uh, grant writer. Sometimes I had to be mop the floor, sweep the floor. Me And I, I was listening to her saying all that. And I was wondering whether she was thinking, oh, this is a revelation. No, 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 girl. I've been there. I did that too. That's all you, that's what you have to do to build a community. Yes, you have to un unplug the toilet when it's stopped up. You know, you have to, you got to screw in the light bulb. You got to mop the floors and, and, and change this and repair this and because it's you. Mm -hmm. Who, yeah, it who, requires a lot of different yes, dimensions and yes mm -hmm. just not sitting back and and hiring somebody or you come and do, you don't have that kind of money to be hiring plumber right. let's figure out how to how to do this well and you've spoken too about it seems like a lot of what happened at the new york and poets cafe was out of necessity and out of scarcity or out of lack too of like having to resource from within from amongst yourselves and within the community mm -hmm. to be able to build what you did and out of love too right because if we don't do this we're not going to have our community yeah you know a kind of urgency about that we have to step up for it mm -hmm. you know and not everybody's going to get a dollar out of the out of the coffers the the, the, the pennies that we pull in mm -hmm. but we managed all those years to work in the black mm -hmm. and interesting thing I, I was listening to last night too with the Sancocho uh, it's something that we understood very early. The idea of how often nonprofit organizations are beholden to the foundations for their existence to maintain. And how now that in this age of COVID, we're looking at, okay, the death of George Floyd makes us look beyond just his death into the systemic problems in this nation. How can we put art into place in our system? Now that is a real question so that we're not beholden to the Ford Foundation or, or uh, what's his name who used to be mayor? Uh, who was mayor? I know he, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg Foundation, mm -hmm. because he is the one who manages his institution of billions, manages the Carnegie, and we used to get money from Carnegie. Mm -hmm. But yet, trying to find a way, maybe now new artistic communities can, in, can infiltrate into the system I mean, this is where our tax money is going. And the necessity for art is as much as, um, as should be as much a priority as mental health, as, I mean, it's food for the mind, for the soul. Do we not understand that? Mm -hmm. Why are not upcoming art communities, getting back some of the tax dollars that we put in, this is where we need to take it from the system. I mean, we put it into the system. Why can't it be given back to us? I pay my taxes. Why can't my institution, my arts, my nonprofit institution receive back what I'm putting in? 
as it should. And I think this next generation of artists here in this country need to start looking very closely at how to make that happen. Because otherwise we're still beholden to the foundation, the, the state, what, you know, when the state decides and when the feds decide, we can no longer put, we're going to decrease the budget for uh, NEA. What does that do for us? Mm -hmm. But that's my tax money. Mm -hmm. I need to get it back here. This is necessary. The art, the artistic communities locally, especially locally, to receive those dollars put back. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about defunding the police. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, let's, it's, it's not about taking the money. It's about reallocating, re-envisioning, and redefining too. What does it mean to be police? Yeah. You know, isn't this a local thing? Mm -hmm. And I hear what you're saying, too, is that the arts are not something that is separate from all of these other... It shouldn't be. I mean, we, we look at it in this country. We have made the separation in many cultures, African cultures, Asian cultures. It's North African, Arabic cultures. Art is infused into the life. You know, somebody who's an artist or teacher has high esteem in the community. Mm -hmm not here mm -hmm. why is that and how can we change that well I wonder too about the sort of severance or disparateness of tradition like in mm -hmm. American society there's I was reading something from James Baldwin the other day talking about that of reflecting on his time in Europe and how the writers there had this confidence because they saw themselves as part of this long-standing intellectual tradition. Mm. Whereas he's saying in America, as a writer, you're kind of looked upon with suspicion and you're not able to necessarily see yourself as part of a tradition where you have kind of your place that you can hold. But in conversations with you though, I think that you've really given a lot of value to not necessarily tradition in a formalized sense, but kind of like lineages or predecessors or people who inform one another's work. and. That seems to be a lot of how... Which are, which, and all of these people don't necessarily come from the same culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. They may come from different cultures, but yet the, the coming together is, is and to sharing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of artists like um, Suher Hamad, who, Palestinian artists. You know, I think of uh, even myself, based in Caribbean culture, mm -hmm. um, not really feeling so much um, Afro-American. What does that mean, Afro-American? Yes, I'm Afro-American, I'm born here, but in terms of education, not the same, but yet the same. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I learned a lot about that from the cafe. Mm -hmm. Uh, the kind of acceptance and how we would have people come from our stage from Japan. They made pilgrimages, mm -hmm. you know, the Japanese. We had, um, I don't even know if he's still alive, Akira Nogami. He was a friend of Miguel's 
And he would come to New York every year, every year. And he was a um, wealthy Japanese man, and he would give us $1,000 to give away to what we call the Fresh Poetry Prize. You know, and it got so that people would, uh, some of the writers said, well, I want to apply for that. There's no application. We pick. We pick mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who we think is is a poet who's deserving and has made the, a great contribution and has shown growth in being a part of our community. We would reward that poet with the, and none of this, well, let's take out 10% for our administrative costs. No, no, no. Akira gave us a thousand, we gave the poet a thousand. Mm -hmm. And then come to find out how our Fresh Poetry Prize came to be listed in, you know how poets and writers and some of these magazines list prizes and things that people can apply to? Mm. And it was never like that. Why uh -huh. are you listing us like that? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, mm -hmm. you, could, you could write in and say, oh, I want to apply. No. In some ways, it seems like the, the New Yorican operated, like, of course, reliant on some ways on maybe foundations and of course support, but also it kind of had this more fugitive kind of underground ecology too of interdependence and interreliance. And I wonder if you can speak more to that of how the New Yorkian, you said a lot about how it didn't exist in isolation, but was very much a part of, you know, the black arts movement and these other literary and artistic movements happening at the same time. I think part of that is, is, um, such a credit to Miguel in his vision that ultimately if we apply to these foundations to uh, maintain us and keep us alive, not a good idea. We're going to have to learn how to stand. How do we stand? How does an arts organization in America today stand on its own two feet? Um, it can only do so if it has a community behind it where people are going to support it. It's going to stay alive if the people support it because we charge at the door, it goes into maintaining the space. And then two, something I think people say is it's very, uh, it's a Bajan uh, trait. And I think it, maybe it's a West Indian or even a Caribbean trait. When you come here to the States, you want to get some got property real estate you always have a home and Miguel's thinking we need to move from the storefront where we re rent in I mean because the landlord can always say goodbye we need our own how how does an institution get its own mm -hmm. back in the day it was because we were able to afford it because we planted ourselves in a part of Manhattan. At that time, nobody wanted to be on the Lower East Side. Now they want to call it the, the East Village. There's Alphabet City, Lower East Side, come on. It was a place where people say there was all kinds of crime and drug dealing and uh, murders and muggins and yes, but it seems like here in the States, people always associate poverty with criminal element. Mm -hmm. 
and it's not necessarily so. Why is it a crime to be poor? I, I think we need to think about that too. Mm -hmm. And with this COVID exposing so, so many faults in, in the system in which this nation has conducted itself, um, is it systemic that we maintain a certain percent of the population in poverty? I mean, we need to think about these things too. Now that we have this moment, which is so glaring and so embraced in a way by this new generation of woke white people who are saying, oh, wow, was that how it is? You know, they're, and their parents may have, you know, gone on the freedom rides back when and marched, but somehow it didn't translate after they left that movement. The 80s and 90s, the early 2000s, people saying, and then we had a black president, oh, no such thing as racism, it's gone, you know. Let's do away with uh, affirmative action. No, 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 no. And even some white people saying, oh, reverse discrimination. But you're still a white man. You can go where I can't go and get the job. Mm -hmm.